really didn't know quite what he was going to say um, about me, but thank you. That was all lovely. So, yes, I live in Twickenham in uh, West London, and yesterday afternoon, um, there was about three of us heading out of Twickenham, and it felt like the rest of the world was coming to Twickenham. So do we have any Irish in the house? Any Irish people? No, not really. So it's just a lot of English people who are feeling depressed about yesterday. So hope we're, we're, we're getting over that. But it is a real treat um, to be with you. Thanks so much for having me and to be launching this service, uh, this series of talks looking at the cross as we run up to Easter. And I want to start with a little bit of a question. Have you ever reflected on the fact that it's a bit odd that Christianity has retained this symbol of the cross because the cross was essentially a means of torture, right? That's what they did in Roman times with criminals, people they didn't like. They hauled them up on a cross and crucified them. Now, if we were to have like an electric chair or a lethal injection, or some other means of torture. I thought that probably by 2022, you would have thought, oh, it's a bit bit awkward, not really socially acceptable, so should we step away from that? And yet we haven't done that with the cross. We've retained this instrument of torture at the central part of the Christian faith. And so that's one of the questions I want to try and answer this evening. Like, why is that? Despite the horror of it, why is it that in a church still today, in the run-up to Easter particularly, we still want to tell this story? Why is this at the heart of our faith? And I want to do that in three ways this evening. I'm going to begin talking a bit about God, and then I'm going to talk about the cross, and then I'm going to talk about us, okay? So God, the cross, and us. And I'm going to start in this bit of the Bible, which if you've got a phone with you, you might want to look it up, or it's going to be on the screen here from 1 John 4, and I'm going to start reading from verse 7. It goes like this. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So let me first say this. God is love. Last week on my day off, I went to H&M, which is something that I often do. You know, you just like happy place, just wander around, see what's new at H&M. And I noticed this hoodie. I think we've got a little picture of this hoodie there. Okay. It's a self-love. And underneath it, it says happiness and health. And the messaging is, frankly, if you love yourself, that is the way to achieve happiness and health. And these are messages that are all around us the whole time, whether you go to the gym or the supermarket, you're on the train or whatever. These messages about self-love are ever-present. You know, it's that kind of, do yourself a favor, prioritize yourself, have some me time, focus on you. That's kind of all around us, isn't it? All about loving ourselves. Because if we do that, that's how we attain health and happiness. But the Bible has a different message. Rather than love yourself... The Bible says you are loved because God is love and he loves you. 
That's what it says in the scripture I just read here in the Bible. Verse 10, this is love that he loved us. And this is good news, folks, because self-love has its limitations. It's quite a nice hoodie, but it's got its limitations. And I just want to talk about two of those. Firstly, limitation one, in a world that is as interdependent as ours, self-love logically doesn't really work. Because if I love myself as much as I want, and you do, and you do, and and we all do, basically we're just being fairly selfish. We're just thinking about ourselves. And for us to thrive, we need to love one another. That's not really self-love. We have to sacrifice our own needs in order to love one another well. Think about being a parent. Okay, it is categorically not self-loving to change a really foul nappy. And it's not very self-loving to get up multiple times in the middle of the night or when your children are like scrapping, which my boys do the whole time. It's not self-loving to get in the middle of them. Actually, to love myself would be to walk away from the nappy, to not get up in the night, and to just let them crack on and beat the hell out of each other. (laughs) To focus on me, to look after myself, would be just to let them crack on. But as a parent, you don't do that because you love your children. You sacrificially push your self-love to one side. You pour yourself out for them to love and care and nurture and raise them. I was watching the pictures this week of those families in Poland and other Eastern European countries who are opening their homes to welcome Ukrainian refugees. Self-love would be to say, nah, actually I don't really want to give up my spare room. I don't really want to take on extra mouths to feed. But those incredible families are showing compassion by pushing self-love to one side and saying, actually, we will make a sacrifice. We will allow another family to come and live in our home. And so you can see that self-love is woefully inadequate when it actually comes to living well and achieving, as that hoodie said, health and happiness. Self-love will only get us so far. Second limitation of it, I think, is that often we ourselves can be really difficult to love. Youngblood, the music artist, released a new song on Friday. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's called Funeral. It's all about the theatrics, isn't it? He's released this song where he's imagining his own funeral. But the whole premise of the music video is that he's imagining that no one will come. No one will come to his funeral. It's actually a really sad song. And the lyrics go like this. I'm emotional, I'll always be. And I hate myself, but that's all right. I tell myself that that's all right. I dream about the day I die. And to my surprise, nobody came. What a shame, shame, shame. It's kind of all filmed as in it's like a bit of a joke. But in the reality of the lyrics, there's such pain. I hate myself, but I tell myself that it's all right. I know that's quite extreme, but I think all of us, to a greater or lesser extent at times in our life, know what he's talking about. Self-love can be hard when there's things about ourselves that we don't really like. 
And I'm not just talking about, I wish my hair was different or I wish I had a different body shape. I'm talking about those moments where we reflect on ourselves and we're like, gosh, I really wish that my character was not like that. Or I wish I hadn't done that thing or said that thing or been that thing. We all know what that feeling is like. And so we can splash out on a hoodie that says self-love. But what about the moments when actually myself is quite hard to love? What do we do then? This is why I'm so excited about what the Bible says. Because the Bible says God is love. God is love. And what's more, God is eternal. He has no beginning or no end. So when we feel like we've run out of love for ourselves, it's okay because God has so much love for us, we could never even wrap our heads around it. And what we do when we pray is we're able to tap into that love and fill ourselves up with it for the moments when we haven't got enough love for ourselves. It takes the pressure off us. You know, maybe there are some of you here today who are quite weary of loving other people out of your own love. Your kind of reserves of love for other people are are pretty low. Hear this, you were never meant to love other people out of your own love. It says here in the scripture, verse 7, let us love one another with a love that comes from God. We receive his love, which then enables us to love other people well. So if you're an exhausted parent or a weary spouse or just a friend who's pretty wrung out trying to love your friends well, or maybe in your job you're a, a, a teacher or, or maybe you're working in a hospital or, or maybe you're just doing like thankless stuff in your life where you're trying to love other people well, maybe on your course you've got a, like a course mate who's going through a really hard time and you're doing all you can to support them, but you're kind of running on empty This is good news for you because God wants to fill you with his love to equip you to love other people well. First point, God is love. Secondly then, the cross. Okay, the cross is God's way of demonstrating this love to us. Verse nine, it says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world. Love that is worth anything is demonstrated, isn't it? I've been married to my husband, Mark, for 13 years. But I tell you, my marriage really would not have lasted that long if all that we had done is just exchange rings and kind of walked around with a certificate. (laughs) That wouldn't have been enough. We have to demonstrate love to one another for our marriage to work. I need to say, I love you to him every now and again and buy him a gift. When it's the rugby, like it was yesterday, I need to look after the kids so that he can enjoy the rugby. I need to think about thoughtful things that will really encourage him, things I might say or do. I need to be faithful and kind And to always cheer him on in all the things that he's doing. It's hard work and it's really sacrificial. But I need to demonstrate love to him for our relationship to work. Maybe some of you have experienced the love of a friend. It's not just that you know they're a friend, but it's they demonstrate it to you. They remember the details of your life and they bother to ask you about it. 
They do something thoughtful. They, they cheer you on. They celebrate you and achieve, when you achieve something. Or maybe they spoil you. It's demonstrated love that makes you really feel like, okay, they actually do care about me. And so whilst God is love, it couldn't just remain as some abstract concept, some definition. God wanted to demonstrate that love in order that we would really know it. God, who was all-powerful, creator of heaven and earth, thought the only way I can demonstrate to humans that I really love them is to leave heaven up here and to come into the muck and the mess of our existence to show us that tangible love. We often think about our world today being a very bloody and brutal place, and in places it is. But the Roman society that God chose to come and live in was really violent. These were people who paid money to go and watch other people be fed to the lions. Okay, God was like, I'll go into the very worst of humanity and I'll experience that. In fact, I'll go so far that I'll go to the cross. I'll be flogged and whipped and hung up there to die in total humiliation with people pointing and laughing. God said, I will experience the worst of the human experience to show humanity that I love them, to demonstrate this love. Remarkably, the Bible even says that he saw this as his privilege. I mean, this blows my mind. The writer to the Hebrews says this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Just get our heads around that, okay? Jesus didn't go to the cross reluctantly or cynically. He saw it as a joy in order that we would see God's love fully demonstrated. Just pause for a moment and think about the worst, most difficult, painful moments of your life to date. I'm sure we've all had really difficult, dark times. God says, I know what that is like. I know what those dark moments, those painful moments are like. God says, I'm not a distant God who's going to stay there in heaven and just be like, God is love, but it's really abstract. God's like, no, I'm going to come into that moment to show you that I love you and I'm with you in the pain and in the darkness. The cross demonstrates God's love. But what does that mean for us? Well, firstly, the cross reminds us that we all need a saviour. We all need a saviour. As a child, I was brought up by my parents um, saying the Lord's Prayer. And there's a bit in the Lord's Prayer where it says, forgive us our sins. Our sin is like a, a very like bible kind of word. But, but all it really means is the moments when we have not been the best version of ourselves. Moments when you think, oh gosh, I really could have been better then. But I just chose to do something that really wasn't great. I'm better than that. And my parents used to teach me to pray that I needed to say sorry for my sins before I could kind of get right with God. And so what I used to do often at the end of the day, because I thought this is the way I had to pray, is I used to wrap my brain about the day that had just been and be like, okay, where's, where's the sins? 
And um, I don't know what Matt said was really true about being the head girl, but I was a very like, compliant sort of A-grade, bit, bit unlike you, I imagine, Matt, at school. <laughs> kind of a kid. <laughs> Sorry, is that a bit rude? And, um, and, and so I would kind of rack my brain and be like, oh, like maybe I did say a little like, naughty word here, or maybe there's that moment when I picked my nose, I shouldn't have done that. And I was like scrabbling for these little bits of sin to be like, God, I'm sorry for these moments. And I thought, do you know what? I don't really get this because I'm not really all that bad. (laughs) I don't get why this is such a big deal. I don't really get why I would need a saviour. What do I need saving from? I'm not that bad. But the older I've got, the more expansive, and I think probably the more accurate my understanding of of sin, this, this Bible word for the stuff that we get wrong, the more expansive my definition has become. And I've come to understand that, that sin is like a sea that we swim in. A sea that we swim in that we can't really get away from. So sin is the root cause of, of all that's happening in the Ukraine. But it's also in that moment where we gossip about our neighbor. Yeah, sin is where we call somebody out on social media without actually looking at our own lives and humbling ourselves, recognizing the stuff that's wrong in our own lives. Sin is the root of division and injustice and racism and infidelity and lies and greed. It's why we lack integrity in our institutions. And it's at the heart of, of climate injustice and educational disadvantage and all that stuff. It's like just a sea that we swim in. But again, you might think, well, yeah, but, but I'm okay. <laughs> like, I'm a good person. I'm a good egg. I'm not, I don't really need a saviour. But, but the thing is, is we're all implicated at some point. I'll just talk about my life. So because my fridge at home is full of food, it means that in many other places, there's people who have empty fridges because we're just, as a world, not great at sharing <laughs> And because I'm wearing this quite nice denim jacket, it meant that probably somebody somewhere had to work for peanuts in a factory to make this jacket. Because my car's got a tank full of petrol, it means that someone somewhere in the far corner of the globe is probably having their home flooded as a result of climate change. Do you see, like, we're all connected. We're all implicated in some way so there was me thinking or maybe I said a naughty word I need to say sorry like I kind of not grasped actually what the bible is talking about here we are all connected we can't escape the fact that we need a savior and until very recently the dominant worldview in the west was to say God is love and we need him but in the last 100 years we've kind of stepped away from that and been like nah we don't need God. What do we need him for? We have got this. We can create a loving, tolerant, progressive, hope-filled society. We don't need God. I don't know about you, like, when I look through Twitter or on the front page of the BBC, I'm like, really? Have we really got this? I'm not so sure. And this isn't just me looking at Twitter and at the BBC website and pointing the finger at other people. I'm pointing it at myself. Like, I have not got this because I would rather keep the stuff I've got than give it away. 
I would rather spend time doing what I want to do than spend it serving other people. Like, I have not got this. I need a saviour. And that's basically what it means to be a follower of Jesus. It's just to put your hands up and say, I've not got this. I need God and his love. I need saving. This is what it is in verse 10. This is love that he sent his son as a sacrifice for sin. Perhaps you're sitting there listening to me thinking, yeah, I could do with a bit of that. Hold that thought because in just a moment, we're going to pray that God would fill us with his love. Those of us that feel that we need that. Final thing I want to say is that the cross means for us that we have a better story. What do I mean by that? I mean that in my absolute core, I believe that the church is the hope that the world needs. The church is the hope that the world needs. And every single time the church tells this story about the cross, which we do every Lent as we run up to Easter, what we do is we tell this story of hope. And it transforms lives. Ways that we often don't hear about, it's not emblazoned over the news, but the church is bringing hope. I want to tell you about a friend of mine called Mark. And he used to go to a church with me in quite a kind of yummy part of West London, a lovely kind of middle-class church. And about six or seven years ago, he said, Rach, I feel like God is calling me and my family to move from this quite yummy community to go and live on quite a deprived estate in kind of North Ealing Borough. I was like, mate, are you, sh- are you sure? Are you sure you've heard God right? Are you sure that's definitely where you want to move? It's pretty rough. He was like, no, no, I think that's where, where I should go. I was like, fair. <laughs> I ain't coming with you. Um, <laughs> so he moved with his family onto this estate. And, and, he, and he said, I just feel I'm called to love these people well, to pastor them well. And let's see, like maybe at, like in time, some kind of a church might end up being built here on this estate. So what he's basically done for the last five years is he's got to know loads of people on the estate. And he has just selflessly loved them. These are people that are often really overlooked in our society, and he's seen them and spent time with them. And he told me this story recently about a guy on the estate called David. Okay, and David lived in one of the flats quite kind of high up in this tower block and uh, was disabled and so very, very rarely left his flat. And um, David's flat was always a bit like grimy and grotty, and Mark didn't really like visiting there, but he felt like, well, God sent me to this place, so I'm going to love these people well. And so he would go and visit David every now and again and go and have a cup of tea. One day, he went to David's house, and he opened the door. Hi, David, good to see you. And all these budgies started flying around his head, and there was basically about 15 budgies flying, like loose, all around the flat. Mark was like, what is going on? Because not only were these budgies everywhere, there's budgie poo everywhere in the flat. And the flat was already rank, and now it was like doubly rank and more. It was just really gross. And David said, well, yeah, basically my grandson brought these budgies, was living with me for a time, but now has moved out, 
and um, I can't get hold of him because he's lost his phone and he won't come back to get the budgies and I can't capture them all to put them all back in the cages. So I'm just sat here with the budgies flying around my head like covered in poo. <laughs> and Mark was like, mate, <laughs> this is a low moment. How can I help you? And David was like, well, if you could just get rid of them, like, that would be great. And Mark was like, like how? Like, kill them. That doesn't seem very humane. I'm a pastor. I can't really do that. So we did the next best thing, which was call the RSPB, who came and <laughs> collected all these budgies. But the flat then was filthy, utterly filthy. And Mark thought, I've got two choices. <laughs> well, three. One, I could just leave it. <laughs> Two, I could call social services and try and get them to come and clean it up. Or three, I could do it myself. It's one of those moments, Mark said, where he sensed the Lord say to him, this is why I called you here. This is your assignment to get into the muck and the mess of this flat and to sort this out. It's like Jesus on the cross coming in the muck and the mess to sort it out out. And so Mark dragged these rank cages down the stairs of the flat block to the skip and then rolled up the carpet and did the same and then got his rubber gloves on, got his bleach and spent a whole day blitzing the flat of budgie poo. And as the thing went on, David's just kind of sat there going, why would you do this? No one is paying you to clean up the poo. This is gross. And Mark said, because God is love. And he loves you and he has sent me to this place to demonstrate that love. This is what the church does. And it's a beautiful and profound thing. And we are invited to be part of that story the cross means when we model what Jesus has done that we are able to be part of telling a better story and I believe that's what the world needs to hear just as I close I want to say perhaps you've never heard this message before or or maybe you have but today you've kind of heard it in a slightly different way What I have just spoken this evening is basically the Christian stories. Nothing new. It's just been told for the last 2,000 years, the story of the cross. And sometimes the church overcomplicates it, but really it is very simple. It has the power to change the world. And it goes like this. God is love. He demonstrated that love on earth the cross and we need it that's it will you stand with me as we respond Matt's going to come up and join me Lord God, thank you that you are love. Thank you, Lord, that that isn't just some abstract definition, 
but that you chose to demonstrate that love so powerfully on the cross. Thank you, Lord God, that you didn't just go half measures, but you went the whole way on the cross, experiencing the very worst of humanity in order to show us the depth of your love for us. Thank you that 2,000 years later, we can still experience this love and encounter you right here, right now. We open ourselves up, Lord, to experience that love.